Hello and welcome to the fifth episode of our podcast, Law Locked and Beyond, a collaboration of the NUJS's Cortelia chapter and the Vidhi Center for Legal Policy. I am your co-host, Shree, alongside Asthamadhan Grover. The objective of the podcast is to find answers to questions we didn't even know we had. Our guest for today is Ms. Japleen Pashricha. Japleen is a feminist act- activist and entrepreneur and the founder-director of Feminism in India. It is an award-winning digital intersectional feminist media organization. She is also a TEDx speaker and a UN World Summit Young Innovator. Before starting her entrepreneurial journey, she was a German lecturer and taught German to undergraduate and graduate students at Jawaharlal Nehru University and Amity University, Noida. Furthermore, she also translated literary texts from German into English. Welcome to the podcast, Japlin. Hi, everyone, and thank you so much for having me here. I'm quite excited. Thank you, ma'am. Thank you for being with us today. Uh, if you would, if you, if we can start, we have a host of questions for you today. I yes, believe I the think. first, right, I believe the first one and the most appropriate one would be, uh, if you could tell us a little bit about what motivated you to become one of the chief proponents of uh, smashing patriarchy in India, and what were the primary ch- challenges you faced while doing so? Um, that's a very interesting question. And you, you know, usually when people ask me this question, they expect a very uh, nuanced uh, answer to this. But I actually don't have one because uh, when I started FII, I was uh, probably your age. I was in my early 20s and I was a student at JNU at Jawaharlal Nehru University. And I was studying German studies, as you have also mentioned in my introduction. So my academic background is actually quite different from what I do right now. I am not a journalist, uh, you know, by training or even a gender studies student, but I studied German studies and I was hoping to become a lecturer and a professor one day. But then things changed and somehow my interest in German was decreasing day by day and my interest in gender studies and feminism and women's rights was increasing. And um, I was a little dissatisfied with what I was doing in my life at that time. And this was about when I was 23, 24. Uh, and one day I was I started reading about feminism and gender studies and women's issues, etc. on my own. Uh, I was reading a book called Feminism in India. It's an anthology by Maitri Chaudhary. And I was just, you know, just sitting at my home bored and reading this book and suddenly I thought I'll open a Facebook page. And, you know, this is the this is 2013, I think. And uh, Instagram and Snapchat and TikTok and Clubhouse, like these apps didn't exist. Then, or at least they were not that popular. Uh, so Facebook was the main, you know, go-to social media at that time. And everybody would, you know, love, like how today everybody creates Instagram accounts. At that time, it was Facebook, uh, creating a Facebook page. So I just created a page because I wanted to um, use social media to talk about feminism and reach out to you know younger audience, but also make it more accessible. Because uh, I feel um, it's you know like from not today, but seven eight years back, uh, feminism was you know uh, not as commonly talked about. Um, with young people uh, on social media, which now has become the, you know, go-to place uh, to have conversations and engagements. So I think for me, then that was the motivation to make feminism popular and accessible. 
uh, especially among young people because i feel uh, as a young country which has more i think about 60 to 70% of our population is between 18 to 35 i feel it's uh, important that young people have this kind of information knowledge and also sensitivity because we are the future of our country and our generation thank you ma'am so with respect to your time at dn du and gnu these are places that lead to feminist awakenings for a lot of people yeah. and even a lot of people's political awakenings come during their time here so were there any instances or incidents which personally affected you and motivated you during your time there um i i i'm not sure if i would say uh, you know um because my subject was so different from let's say someone studying political science or even law for that matter mine was more towards humanities and literature i was studying german history and about the holocaust and you know uh, world war 2 etc um and the nazi regime and i was also uh, um i also used to translate literary text so my uh, i would say my educational um you know phase at that time was uh, not like i wasn't involved as much in uh, political uh, you know political scenarios uh, at the organization i mean sorry at the university but i believe and this is something uh, as generic as any woman can attest to it and i'm sure asha you must also have had experiences where you have felt unsafe or just Absolutely. been discriminated as a woman as a young woman and i think those uh, for me my personal experiences was something that i would say motivated me to do something about it like i remember once i was going to university uh, and this is um, you know way before delhi metro had a mm-hmm. separate uh, compartment for women and i was molested in the delhi metro and that was a very that is a very horrifying memory that i still have mm-hmm. uh, it was a very horrifying incident and um, i won't say that it directly impacted me into you know next day i opened this page but these are some uh, you know incidents that happen and there are many more you know like just being generally discriminated as a woman as a girl you know being uh, said things like uh, for example i have been told multiple times that uh, i don't have a brother um, my parents have two uh, daughters and that's something that Uh, in indian society and in in the family setup a lot of people say oh you don't have a complete family because mm-hmm. you don't have a brother uh, your parents don't have a son so that's something that i've heard very often uh, as a child and you know when you are telling a 10 year old uh, uh, you know oh you don't have a brother that's so sad or you see people uh, you know where you i have so many friends who's you know they they you see this pattern where there mm-hmm. are uh two uh, female siblings and then a male sibling after a gap of like mm-hmm. five to six years and it's a pattern across you know across the country yeah it, it's it's across the country so uh, these like very small things i mean okay they are not small actually but uh, they are m- microaggressions where people come and say these things to you or you know uh, don't behave like a girl or yeah girls are like this so for me it was a lot of personal experiences you know that was just building up to this moment i feel uh, of being harassed on the streets being molested uh, in the delhi metro and these microaggressions that i 
I and many other women and like I can say this all women have to face uh, just because of their gender. I think those were uh, those incidents which led me to do something about it. Absolutely. And I think as as it goes, you know, one, I mean, this is probably the most cliched, but every woman becomes a woman. You are not born. It is this process of socialization and all these microaggressions that take place that often lead to feminist awakenings, I think, in all of us. And especially in a place like Delhi, it's just rampant. Yeah. Right. Uh, unless, ma'am, I understand your uh, your answer, and I, of course, I can't say anything else other than apologizing for experiences. But uh, I'm happy to. I mean, I'm happy to see that some movement has brought about in the feminist agenda, at least. And uh, that does segue me into my next question, uh, which is essentially, what do you feel is the biggest threat to progressing women's rights in India? To give to actually advocating for a voice for women in India, and uh, what do you think is the best way to deal with it? Okay, so this is actually a very, uh, a very heavy question because uh, there there is no easy answer to this. Um, but I would say uh, some of the biggest threats. I don't think I can single out one of them. Uh, definitely, you know, uh, we have a very strong uh, patriarchal system in our. Yeah. Okay. So uh, I believe that because our country has a. a very regressive caste system and patriarchal system, uh, which when uh, these two both work together, they oppress uh, women from all strategies of society uh, uh, across caste and class. And that is, I would say, one of the biggest things that's holding uh, women's rights, uh, so holding the progress of uh, women's rights in India. And, um, you know, it all comes down to you know, how we view women uh, and like what kind of mentality we have. Because if you, I'm sure everyone is following the Olympics uh, news right now. And, you know, uh, right. a lot of women uh, from mm -hmm. our country has won uh, medals, bronze and silver medals. And there's this meme that is going around, which has uh, pictures of these athletes on top and then it has pictures of some actresses or journalists or activists uh, on you know, the bottom and it says uh, the top uh, you know the top row says this is real feminism and not like let's mm -hmm. say a picture of right. some actress and this is a common meme that has been going around on the internet and you know uh, it really shows how uh, women are only respected when they are doing something for the country. So how we also have this habit of putting mothers on a pedestal. And why we do that is we, and also, you know, equating things uh, or even animals for that matter uh, to this pedestal of motherhood. Because the role of a mother is always, uh, you know, where she has to sacrifice everything that she wants, her desires, her life for the service of her children. Uh, even our country is a mother. We, we call India Mother India, right? So we put this notion of motherhood and then we always uh, put women who, uh, you know, comply to our uh, criteria of what a good woman is or, you know, a good woman who is a mother or like has motherly, um, you know, 
uh, eligibility or I don't know something on those lines. And anyone who doesn't, you know, who doesn't conform to that idea, um, who, you know, doesn't want to be a mother, for example, if a woman states that she doesn't want to become a mother, we criticize uh, that woman immediately. And anyone who doesn't comply, uh, you know, or conforms to the idea of what we see as a good woman, because in our society, a woman or a good woman has very specific roles and responsibilities. And uh, anyone who doesn't conform to that is not respected. So our respect for women is very transactional in nature. And only if you marry within the same caste and class, you uh, you know don't answer back to your elders and to your husband, and you know uh, don't do anything which your parents say you're not allowed to do. Uh, only then you become a good girl, but otherwise you are not. And th- that's a very you know uh, we have this like so many people comment. Oh, of course she would have gotten raped if she's gonna wear this shorter skirt, or of course she would have gotten raped. If if she was hanging out with boys. Like I've heard so many people saying, what else do you expect? You're going to hang out, uh, you know, in short clothes and drink alcohol and then you expect men to not look at you. So these are things that, not, and you know, again, just busting the uh, misconception that, oh, this only happens in rural areas, but that's not true because these are things people like you and me talk about. Uh, people in our mm-hmm. social circles say these kind of things. So I feel like uh, just coming back to your question because I realize I have, you know, gone on some other tangent is um, we don't view women as human beings. Like, and when I say we, like, like how we view a man, which is just a human person, we don't view women as human persons also because it's always transactional it's always it always comes with terms and conditions and if you don't comply to those terms and conditions you are not respected and then people say things like of course you would have gotten raped what else did you expect right and the idea of seeing women through one single lens is what's i think uh, been institutionalized by casteism as well as patriarchy and even when for instance a women will uh, win medals at the Olympics, instead of celebrating that achievement, we are comparing them and unnecessarily bringing on other ideas. And uh, while I say this, I understand that there is no one single way to deal with such an institutionalized problem. But do you feel there is there are any other ideas or implements that we can at least advocate for or work towards to perhaps uh, reduce this problem or to perhaps find a solution for this? You know, thanks. Actually, I... I've really uh, do want to answer that question because uh, every time uh, people ask me this question or ask feminists in general this question, I believe that uh, men have a really important role to play here because, uh, and again, there is this socialized thing that um, men just listen better to other men as opposed to women. So if I am, let's say, explaining someone that hey, that joke was sexist versus you, Srini, explaining that person and that person is a man. That hey, dude, that joke was sexist and it's not cool. That person will be uh, will probably listen to you more than they will listen to me. Like they would hold your opinion higher, or like you telling them that hey, that that joke was not cool, or you shouldn't, you know, uh, shouldn't call out this person, or like you know you 
shouldn't make these kind of remarks about this woman and i feel like women uh, and feminist activists are doing so much but there's only so much we can do because also a lot of people just don't tend to listen to us you know like this uh, um even this olympics example the meme that is going around on or the very recent lucknow case uh, where everybody is you know all mras and trolls are just uh, trolling uh, my organization and our social media accounts and like what about the lucknow girl why not arresting her why not against her and they are using this as an argument to uh, derail feminism to criticize feminism but like i am not saying that what that girls did was right it was of course wrong and that, that there is there's no feminism in there just because a woman did something wrong uh, why do we have to bring feminism in it right um, exactly. but like i can say this 100 times and nobody is going to listen to me like because people who have made up their mind that they want to derail a conversation uh they are commenting on each and every post uh on our social media even on a post which talks about the very recent uh, rape uh, you know caste based sexual violence uh, and rape of the 9 year old dalit girl that is that is not important unfortunately for them but a uh, girl in lucknow hitting a man is way more important than a 9 year old girl being raped uh so i feel that it is really about time that uh men come good men um you know come up like stand up and do their duty of talking to other men because i feel that has way more impact unfortunately than women doing the same job right i understand as sad as it may be a degree of solidarity is required for to bring in actual changes would that be the idea that you would like to give to us definitely definitely like i think uh, as simple as you know a, a group of your friends hanging out and like one of your friend makes a lewd remark about a woman and you're just saying hey dude that's not cool and you know that's sexist or you shouldn't talk about women this way i think that itself uh, makes a lot of impact true and this also goes to show that you know the patriarchy has created categories for women and they can only exist out of those it doesn't allow them to actually be themselves in a sense and it tries to categorize and restrict their personhood to what is socially acceptable to them and segueing into the next question how do you feel about the current media representation of gender based violence in your opinion what can be done about this thank you that's that's a very important question that's something actually that uh, my organization works on uh, so uh, just a self plug here about our work um, we actually work on topics like media representation of gender and gender based violence and we have created a toolkit uh, which talks about how uh, mainstream media can uh you know more sensitively uh, write and report about gender based violence this toolkit uh is freely available for download on our website so please do go and check out uh we have also created a database of uh copy uh free artwork uh which mainstream media platforms can use or even you know if a society has a, a blog or a website something uh it's free to use for everyone because we have seen that uh, and now coming to representation 
the representation and reportage of uh, mainstream media when it comes to rape and gender based violence you know it has a very victimy nature to it where like the first thing that you see uh, which you know when we are reading news on digital platforms the the image pops up first on your social feeds and you would see this uh, woman sitting in a corner with her hands covering her face and some looming hand of a man and like you know just like this this woman is scared and she's you know uh, she's a victim who's in a corner and ashamed and you don't see the perpetrator in that image this is a cartoonized image this is not a real image but just google rape and go to google images and you will see this image it's the most common image used when it comes to rape reportage and uh, this this is the problem because a we are not focusing on the perpetrator who has actually done the crime but we are focusing on the victim or the survivor the you know the, both the words are uh, acceptable and uh, we are showing them in this you know image of like once a victim always a victim uh, and also sitting in a corner as if they are the ones who have done the shameful act like i i believe that even like just the imagery of these reports is so problematic because it reinforces this notion that once you are raped your life is over uh, you are dishonored and there's nothing that you can do about it now we uh, we you know don't talk about how rape is actually used as a, a tool to exert power over the other person uh, but uh, we are only talking about how shameful it is that you are raped and not how shameful it is that this person is a rapist and then same comes to the language of the reportage whenever you read a headline you will always see let's say um woman raped in northeast delhi or um uh, you know woman raped uh she uh, she was at the bar or something like there have been news reports where you have details of uh women who were raped and where exactly were they were so they were at hoskars uh, they were hanging out uh, in the hoskars uh, you know bar area or you know at what time of the like what is the time of the incident and these details are absolutely unnecessary especially when we don't have any details on the perpetrator like even the titles are always in passive voice so you will always have uh, the title will always have something like woman raped instead of saying man raped woman which is a you know a way to uh, an active voice way to write about this so that the focus of the you know the subject of our headline is the perpetrator and not the uh, not the victim or the survivor uh, again in the body of the text uh, you will see a lot of uh, you know instances of where the, uh, it, the another thing that happens is that uh headlines and the body of the report they will put really gruesome details about the rape and uh, that has become a trend especially after the 2000 pills uh, delhi gang rape case because uh, because that rape case was so gruesome so it is also to catch eyeballs uh, where you would get in you know a very graphic details of what happened to the victim or the survivor Uh, which is again completely unnecessary uh, you know violates their privacy and also like takes away the human hood from them because we don't need to know uh, what happened to them uh, in those graphic details to 
sympathize with them or you know to understand how gruesome the how regressive this act is rape is regressive rape is shameful and the person who should be ashamed is the rapist not the victim or the survivor but the way uh, news uh, media reports it it is uh, the idea is to shock the uh, reader or to uh, you know uh, there are also these uh, you know the rape videos that are out like a lot of news platforms especially tv channels they tend to also uh, put out some kind of video videos of photo identification of the survivor or the victim which as i'm assuming all of you would know who's also listening to this podcast is illegal and our law does not allow that under section 228a we are not supposed to identify the rape victim at all uh, unless uh, their kin uh, unless they themselves or their kin gives the consent which uh, as you know in the case of uh, the 2000 pel uh Delhi Gangrip case uh Jyoti Singh Pandey's um parents gave consent and revealed her name but until then she was always called Nirbhaya and I actually uh try not to call her Nirbhaya because her parents have consented to put out her name um so yeah like these are some very you know basic guidelines uh that news media should follow but unfortunately they don't uh we in our effort we analyzed uh some news platforms and we looked at the uh, rape reportage of english news media and what are the fault lines um and in our toolkit we analyzed the fault lines we explained why this is problematic and then we give a um we have created uh, guidelines and suggestions on how news platforms can uh, sensitively uh, report rape and gender based violence how they can in- sensitively interview uh, survivors and victims and uh, what kind of images they should use and we have uh, created a bank of uh, copy free images that they can use which show resilience uh, and which show women taking agency instead of showing women as victims always absolutely and even with what you mentioned before you know how like um, the title of a mother is always bestowed on a woman even in this case often the rape survivor is often made the daughter of india or yeah. you know they always try to ascribe some sort of what what would you do if she was your daughter or your mother exactly. or your sister or your wife she her individual sense of identity isn't given enough respect or recognition yeah it's also because again the whole good woman versus bad woman dichotomy you know comes to play here because um and you would see that the daughter of india title is only given to those rape victims who were not out there who were not partying and hanging out with men uh you know uh, like let's take uh, you know keep out the sorry the 2012 gangrip case out of this example because that was a case that really blew up but there have been so many such cases mm-hmm. it's not like that was the most gruesome case there have been uh, gruesome cases in the past and we are still continuing to seeing as horrific and uh, gruesome cases as that one and these titles are always bestowed within caste boundaries as exactly, well exactly exactly these are bestowed with uh, within caste boundaries and 
these are missed out to two women who were good women but like despite of that they were raped but you wouldn't see you know uh, uh, like there are so many other kind of uh, conceptions that are missed out like for example uh, if there's a rape uh, case of a northeast uh, of a woman from the northeast the most you know common um, stereotype we associate with them is that they are easy uh, and you know they are loose women and that's why this happens to them so even the title is very uh, you know uh, it, it not everybody gets the privilege to even have that title true true um taking from your answer about representation and how the media's outlook works i understand that we have another very important idea to address which is um, the excessive amount of online violence against women in india yeah what according to you could be the reason for this and what are the best ways i understand there is no one proper way but what according to you are the best mm-hmm. ways to curb and control online violence i unfortunately do not have an answer to this and i'm going to disappoint you because i have been a, a victim i would say of online violence so many times in the past 5 6 years that i have now decided to go off twitter i'm no longer on twitter i deleted my account some months back and uh sorry i honestly do not have anything positive to say uh, in this regard because online violence is just the you know the uh, the just the quantity of uh, the kind of so like you know trolls and comments that you receive it's so overwhelming even today i spent 30 minutes uh, uh, in the morning and just you know moderating the comments on our on the organizations social media accounts because everybody was writing about oh what about the lucknow girl why haven't you uh, spoken about it and uh, like is this your fake feminism and a lot of other uh, you know uh, there were a lot of uh, abusive words which i wouldn't want to say here uh, but online violence is it's just extremely overwhelming because uh, it's huge in number i would say uh and also because the internet gives you many tools to be anonymous uh create multiple accounts which i like which i don't think is a bad thing like anonymity is important but uh it is a double edged sword uh because you know it can be used and misused both and um it's also exhausting to you know repeatedly um uh, report and block the trolls because again the number is just huge that you can't just go forget about reporting to the law enforcement even just reporting on the app uh, when you have hundreds of uh, you know uh, comments uh, on your twitter account or you know comments in your instagram account like how much are you going to report and block you will be tired right so i don't know what to say uh, i really believe that um the internet uh, kind of because it's a place where you can be anyone uh it kind of brings out the worst in people like the kind of things that people say on the internet they will most probably not say that to someone's face like in front of somebody like the people who you know uh, sent me hate messages they would pro- most probably not do that if i was standing if i was standing in front of them uh like i'm i'm not saying that uh 
they will absolutely not hate me but it's just the way that we write in a pine on the internet is very mm-hmm. different from how we would actually behave in real you know non virtual lives um sure. yeah so i mean would you suggest that anonymity and uh, and perhaps to a certain level easy access has also increased what and taken online violence to an overwhelming level would that be the idea her that definitely i mean definitely anonymity is one of the reasons but again as i said i am not against anonymity because i also believe that it's important for a lot of uh, a lot of people to you know also live the lives that they want to which they can't do uh, you know uh, in their non virtual life so um i don't think uh, because, like anonymity is a problem here but yes it as i said it's a double edged sword so it gives you anonymity but it also gives this person who really wants who who is sending you rape and death threats uh would you suggest, would you suggest above anonymity a lack of sensitization or even education is the problem here that's taking violence to an overwhelming level i mean aside from anonymity yeah i i also feel like because uh, you are anonymous uh, and because you feel like you know nobody can do anything to you uh, at the end of the day you are still in front of a screen right uh, so you are writing you are typing ferociously on the screen and uh, because there's no accountability uh, both from you know the platform that you are at uh so i also feel like there's a huge huge responsibility that platforms should have which they don't take and their guidelines are just always uh so murky and a lot of times it just you know a lot of things that you report and then facebook or instagram or twitter will come up and say hey this doesn't go against our community guidelines but we see so many activists and journalists being censored so i feel like uh, social media accountability is something that uh should play a huge role in curbing online violence unfortunately it doesn't and even though uh, these platforms promise um, you know that they they would tackle and they would you know come up with initiatives but i haven't and i have worked on this topic since uh, you know like i have researched on this topic i have uh, written articles and you know of presented papers at international conferences but i'm just so tired of online violence that i have just given up on if you know how can we curb this because honestly i have no answer to that absolutely and you know it's terrible how women have to go through more of this and not just women but non binary persons as well and it's often at the hands of cisgender men running behind anonymous accounts but in your opinion why and how is the best way to intersect gender and sexuality with digital media and social media um so what do you mean exactly by uh, best way to intersect do you mean in terms of advocacy yes so i mean i think a lot of people a lot of young people that i see today are doing great work when it comes to uh, advocating sexual health and gender identities uh, and sexual orientations and uh, you know queer persons uh, rights and agency uh, using social media uh, there are tons of instagram accounts that i follow that are doing brilliant work 
uh, I think also videos are playing a huge role because um, everybody is making reels now about uh, these topics. So I, sometimes I uh, really feel happy when I uh, see young people talking about uh, these very complex, uh, you know, topics and issues uh, in a fun way, innovative way, where they're making funny reels about it or YouTube videos or educating via Instagram accounts. I think young people today are already doing these very cool things. Um, and yeah, um, I believe that, oh, and this is something, you know, just not just comes from my belief, but also the work that we do because we are also an organization that uses digital and social media to reach uh, young people. Uh, that is our you know, target audience. I think another thing that uh, we all can do, uh, not just our organization, but in general, people who are uh, already putting in efforts to do this kind of advocacy is that we can create more content in regional languages. At FI, we are already, uh, we are a bilingual organization now. That means that we have, apart from English, we also have an entire publication and social media uh, channels in Hindi. And we are now focusing on creating more uh, content on gender and sexuality um, in the Hindi language because a lot of this discourse is very Western oriented and uh, is restricted to the English language. And uh, that's how it becomes inaccessible to a large group of people. So I believe uh, also taking this discourse uh, from the English language to uh, other Indian regional languages would be a great way to, you know, advocate for gender and sexuality on digital media. Absolutely. Thank you so much. Um, Shri, do you have anything to add? Nothing as of now. I'm, uh, and I would like to thank her for all her answers. Thank yeah, we'd really like to thank you, Japlin, for coming to our podcast and sharing. Thank you. It was really fun. With us. It was great. Thank you so much. Thank you. Thank you.